And then last week, Shing preached, and now I'm preaching again. It's, it's almost like a theological sandwich. If you, if you didn't laugh at that, it's because you either have no sense of humor or you have not been keeping up with our, our sermons. So if you've, been miss, uh, if you've been out of town, if you've missed, or if you're new here, I would encourage you to get back online and check out uh, the sermons that you've missed. They're all available online. We're going through the book of 1 Samuel, and that's where we find ourselves today in 1 Samuel chapter 29. So ever find yourself in a dilemma that seems to have no good resolution? Uh, maybe you're caught in the middle of two friends, and you're trying to, to help them resolve some disagreement, and, and the only way out is that one or both of them is going to not like you. There's no good way out of this. Or, or maybe you've told a little lie, perhaps what seems to be a good reason even, and now you find yourself caught in the web of deceit. You're stewing in the mess of your own creation. You feel that no matter what you do, it's going to hurt. Well, that's where we find David today, the Lord's anointed in this passage this morning. He's in the middle of a mess, and it's, it's a mess of his own creation. This is a relatively short passage compared to what we've, what we've spent time in recently, only chapter 29 and the first six verses of chapter 30, but I think it's highly relatable to us today. I think we can all relate to having done wrong, being caught in some sort of problem, in some sort of dilemma, and finding no good way out. We've made foolish decisions before, so we can all relate to this. And yet sometimes, I think we can find, if you remember, you can find that God has been especially gracious to you, even saving you from the consequences of those foolish decisions. And that's what we find here. Uh, This is the anti-karma passage. David doesn't deserve the mercy that he's about to get, and yet God is going to be merciful to him. So I hope that we'll find, like David did, that God is merciful to save, and he will strengthen us in our time of need. So we're going to begin by setting the scene. We've got to go back a little bit, because if if you're reading along in 1 Samuel, this is a little bit confusing unless you're really paying attention, because the narrator, the author, author is, is bouncing back and forth between David and Saul. So he's doing that mainly to contrast David's character with Saul's character. How David is is a man after God's own heart. How he is is truly God's man for this job. And how Saul, on the other hand, is drifting further and further away from God. How David is the king that God wants for his people. And then how truly evil Saul has become. As it's becoming very clear that, that Saul's reign should end. So the events of the past few chapters are happening at roughly the same time. Last week we spent, in chapter 27, we spent much of the time talking about David, if you'll remember, and David's decision to go live, to flee, and go to the Philistine uh, territory. And then in chapter 28, and much of 28, we talked about Saul and Saul's foolish decision to uh, consult a witch or a medium. We won't be talking about witches or mediums today. Uh, when we're talking about Saul, really at all, we're, we're only talking about David. This, this passage today is only about David, so there's not that contrast between David and Saul that we have been, been seeing and going through. So perhaps just a little refresher on where David is, because we ended with Saul last week. So a little refresher on where David is. If you remember, there's two kings. David is the anointed of God, and yet 
Saul is also king, and Saul is on the throne. And over and over, we've seen Saul becoming more distant from God and, and David calling upon the name of the Lord and David showing that he is the right man for this job. But as we've seen in chapter 27 and 28, and we'll see today in 29, the beginning of 30, the, the knot of issues in David's life is becoming increasingly difficult for us to untie. The last couple of chapters, as well as today's, demand us to ask, how severe is David's fall from faith in God? Or has David turned for a time, has he, has he just turned completely away from God as he's now encamped with and amongst the Philistines, the enemies of God's people? Which of David's actions are sinful and which are wise? Now, th these are questions that we ought to be asking. It's a complicated issue and people are complicated. David is a complicated soul. But whatever the case, David, it seems, has given in to fear. At, at times, he's been worn down by uh, just being constantly on the run from Saul. He's been worn down emotionally. He's been worn down physically. I think he's been worn down spiritually. When I think of David at this time of his life, I think of, of this is dating myself. Anybody seen the movie The Fugitive? Harrison Ford, a few people. The older people in the room have seen that movie. The younger people have not. Uh, there's this movie where this guy is on the run, and I think of David. I think of this, this movie when I think of, of David at this time of his life. He's not on the run, not just for a few hours or a few days or a few weeks even. He's on the run for months and even years. So imagine the toll that that has taken as we, as we think about what David's actions are, have been, and what they are in the next chapter. So in a moment, we'll be in 1 Samuel chapter 29. I would encourage you to turn there now. If you don't have a Bible, you can find one under the seat in front of you. And it's on page 142, I believe, of, of those Bibles. Um, I mentioned this earlier in the first service. If you have a phone, a Bible app, I encourage you to use that, but turn your notifications off. Put on airplane mode. Let's just focus in on what God has to say to us this morning. So if we go back to chapter 26, we'll, we'll see that uh, David had just had an upbeat moment. It's the second chance that he had to kill Saul, and the second time that he had refused to kill Saul. And then Saul said some really sweet, uh, very positive words to David and about David. So it's a really upbeat moment. And then we flip the page over to chapter 27, and we read verse 1 which I believe is the beginning of a dark time in David's life. Then David said in his heart, Now I shall perish one day by the hand of Saul. There is nothing better for me than that I should escape to the land of the Philistines. Then Saul will despair of seeking me any longer within the borders of Israel, and I shall escape out of his hand. So I believe that we can read from this that David ceased to fully trust in God at this point. He's, he's given into fear and he's running from Saul. And that explains what we're about to see. In, in chapter 29, we're going to see that David is in a very dark place as he's about to war against the Israelites, against God's people. So how in the world did David get to this point? How in the world did David reach this place, this dark place in his life? Well, chapter 27, 28 following, we, we see no hint of David pursuing God. There's no hint of, of David calling on the name of the Lord. He's not seeking God for wisdom. He's not mentioning how God is his refuge or his, his place, his rock, his place of, 
of, of refuge in the time of trouble. David just flees. Now, this, I think, this is so unlike the David that we know and that we want to love. Normally, David would seek God's guidance in a time of trouble. We've seen that over and over in 1 Samuel. We'll see that later in, in 2 Samuel, if you, if you continue reading. We'll see that, that David continues his normal way of doing things is to seek God's guidance, and his normal way of doing things is to call upon the name of the Lord and, and give him praise for everything that God has done. He, again, he calls God his refuge, his rock. But there's no mention here of David asking for salvation from the enemies. Instead, what we see is we see David do some, some very cunning and, and really from, from a world standpoint, very brilliant things. So some very cunning yet deceiving things as he's on the run from Saul. He heads to the very heart of enemy territory. And amazingly, through God's providence, the Philistines don't kill him. I would think that the Philistines would kill David simply because he had killed Goliath or because he's just the enemy of the Philistines. And yet, through God's providence, David and his men are not killed by the Philistines. Instead, what we see is that Saul stops pursuing David. So Saul gives up his pursuit and isn't trying to kill David anymore at this point. But even further than that, King Achish of the Philistines gives David the town of Ziklag, which is, I like to say it's a vacation spot, the garden spot, perhaps, Ziklag, gives David the town of Ziklag to settle he and his men in. And then David quickly further gains the favor of King Achish. If you remember from last week, you remember how he did that, how he gained the favor of King Achish? David and his men would attack the enemies of Israel, the Gerzites and Geshurites and Amalekites. He would attack those, those peoples, and then he'd bring the spoils of, that, uh, of those raids and give them to King Achish. So David's cunning and his deceitfulness had protected David and his men. It had given him finally a place to lay his head after many years, and it had made King Achish very rich. And of course, King Achish was, was very trusting of David. He, he believed what David said when he said that he was raiding the Israelites, when really he was raiding the enemies of Israel. So David's cunning and deceit had made uh, David's life much, much better. So that's, that's the background. That catches us up on what we heard last time, and then we had that little interlude where we, we had Saul and his uh, pursuing the, the witch. So that's, that's the background. Those are David's decisions to encamp with the Philistines. But all decisions have consequences. And chapter 29 shows us that David's gotten himself into a real mess by lying, by being deceitful, and by entangling himself with the enemy. So who will deliver David, and how is David going to be delivered? Well, we begin to find out in chapter 29, verses 1 and 2. It says, Now the Philistines had gathered all their forces at Aphek, and the Israelites were encamped by the spring that is in Jezreel. As the lords of the Philistines were passing on by hundreds and by thousands, and David and his men were passing on in the rear with Achish. So the Philistines are already deep into Israelite territory now. King Saul's leadership had led them to the, the brink of destruction. And the, Israel, or the Philistines are gathered to, to deliver this death blow to the Israelites and to take over their territory completely. And where is David? 
when this happens. Where is the Lord's anointed? He, he's on the wrong side. He's fighting, he's with the Philistines. And even more than that, earlier in chapter 28, he was pronounced as the personal bodyguard of Akish. So Akish made him his personal bodyguard as well. So this is a, this is a mess that David is in. David had left his, his home, he left his people for the enemy when he was fearful, when he was discouraged. And now he finds himself where he probably thought that he would never be. He's amongst the ungodly, about to fight against God's people. So this is an impossible situation. I've, I've tried to put myself in David's shoes. Um, I think I've thought of, perhaps you can think of more, but I think I've thought of all of David's options at this point at least all of his good options, and there's really no good options for him here. So I think there's three, or three variations on three things. The first option that David has as he's with the Philistines and about to fight against the Israelites is that he could just say, I'm going I'm to bow out of this. Uh, he could go to the Philistines and say, you know what, I'm going to sit this fight out. Uh, me and my men are going to go have a hamburger roast, and we're going to we're going to uh, just enjoy ourselves. You guys go fight the Israelites, and, and we're going to sit this one out. Or they could just flee. They could try to run from the Philistines. I don't think that's going to work. Uh, I think that that's going to lead to death for David and his men because they're deep in Philistine territory. Their families are at Ziklag. So it's very easy for the Philistines to say, we're not going to let you sit this one out. We know that you're really with the Israelites. We're just going to kill you. So I think that's not a good option. The second option is that David could fight with the Philistines, and he could actually fight against the Israelites. He could kill his own countrymen. Now, I, I don't think that David has fallen that far to do that. And the reason I think that even though David is very distant from God, I don't think he's fallen that far, because if you look back, if you think back to chapter 24 and chapter 26, David had the option, the opportunity to kill Saul already, twice, and he's chosen not to do that. He, he's made it very clear that he is not going to be the one who is implicated in the death of King Saul. He's not going to take the throne by force. So I don't think that he would even consider the option of fighting against the Israelites. I don't think he's fallen that far. And then the third thing that I can think of is that he could act as though he will fight against the, Phil or fight against the Israelites, and then in the middle of the battle, he and his men could turn against the Philistines. I don't, I don't think that this is a good option either. If you think about it, no, no doubt his men in the middle of the battle, think about the fog of war and the chaos of the battle, uh, they would be fighting against not just the Philistines but also the Israelites. And the Israelites would certainly inevitably be fighting against them as well. And so they'd be forced to either defend themselves against the Israelites um, by trying to kill them or just be killed by them. So I don't think that that's a good option for David either. I think all of David's options are bad here. I think all of his options either end in death for him and his men, or it ends in treasonous behavior. David has gotten himself into a mess by lying and deceiving and by encamping with the enemy. And friends, all of our decisions, not just David's, all of our decisions have consequences. I, I'm reminded of Psalm 1 as I think of David in chapters 27 and 28 and 29. It says, blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the wicked, nor stands in the way of sinners, nor sits in the seat of scoffers, but his delight is in the law of the Lord, 
and on his law he meditates day and night. David is walking in the counsel of the wicked. He's standing in the, seat, in the, in the way of sinners. He's sitting in the seat of scoffers as he's encamped amongst the enemies of God. And I would ask you, what, what about you? Do you have ungodly associations? Maybe you're acting one way at work or at school, and then you're acting a different way at home or with your friends from church. Or maybe you have unbelieving friends who are more of an influence on you than you are on them. There's a lot that we can pattern our lives after with David, but this is not one of those areas. Don't turn from God and run to the world when you're fearful, when you're anxious, when you're frustrated when you're in despair. Instead, run to God. If you camp out with or you settle in with those who are opposed to God, you'll reap some sort of consequence from that association. So this is a dilemma for David. And it's a dilemma that's been set in motion by David's actions. And he's stuck. So what is David going to do? Who will save David? Well, as we continue to read, we see that David does absolutely nothing We see that beginning in verse 3. It says, The commanders of the Philistines said, What are these Hebrews doing here? And Achish said to the commanders of the Philistines, Is this not David, the servant of Saul, king of Israel, who has been with me now for days and years? And since he deserted to me, I have found no fault in him to this day. But the commanders of the Philistines were angry with him, and the commanders of the Philistines said to him, Send the man back, that he may return to the place to which you have assigned him. He shall not go down with us to battle lest in the battle he become an adversary to us. For how could this fellow reconcile himself to his Lord? Would it not be with the heads of the men here? And I think just as an aside, I think this is clearly a reference to Goliath. They're remembering that David took Goliath's head here and that he might take their heads here. And it continues on in verse 5. Is, this, is not this David, of whom they sing to one another and dance? Saul has struck down his thousands and David his ten thousands. This is the beginning, I think, of God delivering David from David's foolish plans. And as we've seen over and over again in Scripture, God uses an unlikely person or an unlikely event. In this case, he's using the Philistine commanders to save David and his men. The Philistine commanders are rightly concerned that David and his men will turn against them in battle. This is, this is just common sense, right? You, if, if you were in the Philistine situation, I think you would be thinking that as well. But it's also... They're remembering back to chapter 14 when the Israel, some Israelites were with the Philistines and the Philistines thought they were on their side and then they ended up uh, turning against them in the middle of the battle and that created a lot of chaos and a lot of death for the Philistines. So it's common sense, but it's also in their recent memory. They're remembering this as well. But notice that very strangely, Achish isn't concerned. He has total faith in David, his loyal bodyguard for life. The irony is that Achish found no fault in David, yet David has not been honest at all with Achish. I think one thing that we can draw out of this is that don't ever play two truths and a lie with David. His, his deception is pretty rock solid. He, he can be a deceitful guy and a very convincing man as well. But fortunately for David, 
the Philistine commander's argument wins out, and they order Achish to send David away. And we, we see that beginning in verse 6. It says, Then Achish called David and said to him, As the Lord lives, you have been honest. And to me it seems right that you should march out and in with me in the campaign. For I found nothing wrong in you from the day of your coming to me to this day. Nevertheless, the lords do not approve of you. So go back now and go peaceably, that you may not displease the lords of the Philistines. And David said to Achish, But what have I done? What have you found in your servant from the day I entered your service until now, that I may not go and fight against the enemies of my lord the king? And Achish answered David and said, I know that you are as blameless in my sight as an angel of God. Nevertheless, the commanders of the Philistines have said, He shall not go up with us to the battle. Now then, rise early in the morning with the servants of your Lord who came with you, and start early in the morning, and depart as soon as you have light. So David set out with his men early in the morning to return to the land of the Philistines. But the Philistines went up to Jezreel. So before we speak of David, there, there's no, like I said earlier, there's no, no passage about Saul here. So there's no way to contrast him except to this. I want you to look at how similar King Saul of the Israelites is to King Achish, this pagan king of the Philistines. Both made David their personal bodyguard. Both were very impressed with David's gifts and his abilities. Both removed him from their infantry ranks. Both badly misjudged who David was. King Achish thought that, that David was loyal, and David was really duplicitous. He was a deceitful enemy to, to King Achish. And Saul thought that David was an enemy, and he was really a loyal subject. Both Saul and Achish made oaths that were inappropriately taken in the Lord's name. Friends, we've, we've talked about this before, but God's people had asked for a king just like all the other nations have. And guess what? They got a king, just like all the other nations have. If only the people of Israel had trusted God as their king, as their true king. Now, can you relate to that? I, I can certainly relate to that. How, how often do we look at the world and look to what the world has to offer, and we wish that we had that? Now, that can be finances, that can be material possessions, that could be a different lifestyle or or free time on Sunday mornings that maybe the world has that we covet and wish that we have. Friends, what the world has to offer may look enticing. It may draw us in. But in the end, we find that it's empty. It's devoid of substance. It's just a shadow. It's nothing like the real thing. It doesn't last, and it doesn't ultimately satisfy. Only the things of God will truly satisfy. And we see that here as we're reading through 1 Samuel. We're seeing what the people of Israel are getting that they had asked for. So we know that Saul is not the true king. That's been, been revealed to us over and over and over again. But he's the king that the Israelites asked for. But here now, in these past few chapters, we're seeing that King David, I'm not sure he's really the king, that, that would be best either. There's something better. The, the people of Israel have settled for men, for what the world has to offer. So I would ask you, what are you settling for? Are you settling for just what the world has to offer?
We need something better. So back, back to David. Back to David and, and this dilemma that he's in. Remember, it's, it's a life or death dilemma that David is in. And surely, I already went over his options. His options would lead to death or treason. Not good options. So surely he was relieved when he heard the Philistine commanders say that, that he could go home, when King Achish told him that he could go back to Ziklag. And so in verse 8, I think the only way we can describe David's reaction is that he's doing what he's been doing. He's deceiving again. He, he's acting like he's hurt. He's acting like, acting like he's confused by why I really don't want to be sent away. And further in verse 8, he says that he, he wants to stay and fight against the enemies of my lord the king. But who was David's lord the king? Well, King Achish thought that David was talking about him, that he wanted to fight against the enemies of King Achish. But was David really talking about Saul? Or was he talking about God? I think at this point in David's life, we can't really tell where David is. I think he's so distant from God, we don't really know where David's at and what's going on with him. Can you relate to that in your life as well? Have you been that distant from God? Well, speaking of God, where is he? in this story. We certainly see that he's providentially rescuing David from being implicated in the, and this is a spoiler alert, you knew this was coming, but Saul is going to die. I know that's probably shocking to some of you, but Saul is going to die. And when Saul dies, David is going to be 100 miles away fighting against the Amalekites because he was sent away from this battle. God is providentially showing his compassion and his, his care for the Lord's anointed by removing him from a situation where he might have been implicated in the death of Saul. So we can certainly see God at that point in the story. But when was the last time that we heard David mention God? We haven't heard David mention God since right after Samuel died and right after his, his second opportunity to kill Saul. And David's very distant from God. He isn't calling on God for guidance. He's not mentioning God as, or speaking of God as his, his rock, his salvation. He's not seeking him for, for any, any wisdom. This is about as low as David could sink. It seems like he'd hit rock bottom here. And yet, even so, God was incredibly gracious. God was incredibly kind to him. So have you ever been there? You've been stewing in the midst of your sin, your poor choices, and yet God somehow miraculously saved you from the worst consequences of your sin. I've been there. I can relate to that. This is, this is nothing like what David went through, but I was recently pulled over for, for speeding. Um, I don't think my kids know that. <laughs> I was recently pulled over for speeding, and no excuses. Uh, I truly was. Um, and I should have gotten a ticket, and I don't know why I didn't. The officer let me off uh, with just a verbal warning. He didn't even write, write me a little um, ticket of any kind. So uh, I deserved to be punished for that. I was speeding. I was sinning. And yet God showed his loving kindness to me. God was merciful to me in that situation. I didn't deserve it. wasn't even really asking for it. And yet God was kind. Now, that's exactly what he did 
to David in this situation. Now, on a much, much bigger scale. This is a life and death situation. What I would ask you to do is, is later today, maybe in your gospel community, think about a time or several times when God has saved you from the consequences of your decisions. Maybe the consequences weren't as bad as what they should have been or could have been when God was incredibly merciful to you and saved you. And then share that with a friend. And then praise God for what he's done in your life as he saved you from your sin. So David had been at a very low point in his life here, and yet God had miraculously really rescued him from the consequences of his sin. And yet, what's missing from David? What do we still not see in David? We still don't even see any mention of God in this. I was praising God when I did not get a ticket. Um, David is not praising God here in this situation, at least not that we can see. There's so much positive that David can teach us that we ought to pattern our lives after, but this, again, is not one of those things. When, when you recognize that God has been merciful to save you from the consequences of your sin, you ought to be praising God. You ought to be telling people about that. You ought to be uh, doing that so that God can be glorified, so that he is lifted up. So a relieved David leaves the frying pan of this dilemma, and then he he unknowingly is about to enter into a fire. We see that in chapter 30 as we, as we read on. It says, Now when David and his men came to Ziklag on the third day, the Amalekites had made a raid against the Negev and against Ziklag. They had overcome Ziklag and burned it with fire, and taken captive the women and all who were in it, both small and great. They killed no one, but carried them off and went their way. And when David and his men came to the city, they found it burned with fire and their wives and sons and daughters taken captive. Then David and the people who were with him raised their voices and wept until they had no more strength to weep. David's two wives also had been taken captive, Ahinoam of Jezreel and Abigail, the widow of Nabal of Carmel. And David was greatly distressed, for the people spoke of stoning him, because all the people were bitter in soul, each for his sons and daughters." Any, anyone in this room, anybody ever climbed Mount Humphreys in Flagstaff? A couple people have. Um, this story reminded me of that. If you've ever done that, uh, you're headed to the top, you're exhausted, and you finally see the, the peak, your destination. It gives you a lift. You're, you're excited about that. You can see, see the final destination. Then you keep going a little bit further, and you notice that that's not really the peak. It's... It's, there's another one beyond that, and it's, it's uh, several yards higher and further than what you thought it was. I think that actually happens twice, if I remember right. You think you've reached the top, but it's really just a false top. And that's what David is, is uh, facing here. He thought he was at the bottom when he was faced with certain death or treasonous behavior with uh, the Philistines, and yet... It was really just a false bottom. This is about as low as it could get. So can you imagine? Put yourself in David's shoes. Put yourself in the men of David's shoes. You return home, and you find that everything that's important to you is gone. And you can see the depth of the grief. These are some of the baddest men on the planet. We, we hear later about David and his mighty men, and yet 
they are weeping to the point of exhaustion. Grief is a real thing, and it impacts and affects everyone. No one is immune from grief. So this is a key moment in David's life. His men are blaming him. The people he cares most about in his life are gone. The people he's charged to lead, they're, they're hurting deeply, and they also want to kill him. The knowledge that he has that his schemes, he's the one that's led his families, his men into this situation. His schemes have led to this point. It's all his fault. And then assuredly, the accuser, the devil, is also ganging up on him and reminding him and blaming him as well. So what will David do? He, he can't ask the Philistines for help. They're up north about to fight. He can't ask the Israelites for help. Uh, I'm not sure they would help him. And they're also about to fight. So what is David going to do in this situation to get out of this? He's only hearing accusations and blame and threatening voices. Well, I, I, I didn't read all of verse 6 to you, so we're going to read all of verse 6 now. It says, And David was greatly distressed, for the people spoke of stoning him, because all the people were bitter in soul, each for his sons and daughters. But David strengthened himself in the Lord his God. That last phrase is so powerful when you think about it, when you unpack that, when you understand what David did. David finally turns back to God. Now, this is the David that we know and that we want to love. This is the David that we want to exalt and we want to pattern our lives after. He's finally, when he's finally at his lowest point, he finally turns back to God. And again, by all indications, he'd not spoken of God in quite a while, there's no psalms that have been written during this time period when he's in Philistine territory. So by all indications, he's distant from God. But now he turns back. And David strengthened himself in the Lord as God. So don't you need to do that in your life now? No matter what your week has been like, no matter what your circumstances are, we all need to be strengthened in the Lord our God. But what, is, what does this actually mean? Well, I think it means that he placed his trust back in the Lord. If you remember chapter 27, verse 1, we talked about the fear that he had, and he fleed into Philistine territory. We, we talked about how he had uh, been overcome with fear and was no longer perhaps trusting in God. He turned away, he was relying on himself, relying on his, his intellect to get him out of situations. And now, finally, he's trusting. He's putting his trust back in the Lord. And when you trust in God, your faith becomes stronger. When you trust in God, you're, you're more understanding of God's provision and, and his care for you and his ability to get you out of or to comfort you, to care for you in whatever circumstance that you find yourself in. Trusting in God keeps us from giving up. It keeps us from distress, from despair, from frustration, from anger, from hatred and jealousy and all of these things. So are you distressed? Then strengthen yourself in the Lord. Are you in despair this morning? Then trust in the Lord. Are you frustrated? Are you anxious? Are you fearful? Then strengthen yourself in the Lord. So how? How did David do that? How do we do that. Well, Scripture doesn't say exactly what David did, but 
Perhaps he remembered how God had delivered him from the paw of the lion and the bear. Or perhaps he remembered how God had chosen someone lowly like him. Or perhaps he remembered how people in his life, people like Samuel, people like Abigail, had shown God's truth, God's word into his life at times when he needed it. So that's what we need to do, to be strengthened by and to trust in the Lord. So three, three quick things to jot down and to consider to help you to be strengthened in the Lord, especially when you're distressed, when you're in despair, when you're, when you're anxious or frustrated. First, remind yourself of the truth of God's word. God's word is a light. God's word illuminates everything. God's word is true in every circumstance, no matter what uh, your life, what's going on in your life, God's word is always true and always applicable. So remind yourself of the truth of God's word. Remind yourself of previous times when God has provided for you, or he's cared for you, when he's been there for you. Re- remind yourself that God is faithful and that he's been faithful in the past. And then remind yourself of brothers and sisters who have surrounded you and are there to comfort you and go to those people. Remember your church family. Remember those brothers and sisters that we have that perhaps can give us wisdom, that can perhaps remind us of the truth when we are faltering and failing. But in your time of despair or distress or frustration, don't run from God. Don't run to the world. Don't, run, don't just rely on yourselves. Instead, run to God. Draw near to God and then praise him for all that he has done you. Strengthen yourself in the Lord. But one question remains, at least for me, and that's why did God choose to save David? Why did God choose to do that? Well, he didn't deserve it. He didn't even ask to be saved. Yet God graciously provided. God solved an unsolvable situation. God is merciful to save and will strengthen us in our time of need. And he did that for David, and and friends, he does that for us as well. He does that because he loves us. He does that because he has chosen to have a relationship with us. We are sinful. We live in a, a messy world, and often we are very strong contributors to that mess. And yet God is merciful to save, and he will strengthen us in our time of need. Now, I, I realize that some of you are thinking of times when God wasn't merciful to save you from the consequences of your decisions or consequences of other people's decisions. I, I can certainly think of that. For every time that I can think of, of a time that, that God was merciful to save, I can think of another time when I paid the price or somebody else paid the price for my sin, when somebody else had to experience uh, just because of my sheer foolishness or, or stupidity or my anger or jealousy. So does that mean that God isn't good or that God doesn't care when we're not merciful or when he's not merciful to us? Well, of course that's that's not what that means. Now, how do we know that? Well, we know because we have a king who is better than David. Jesus can relate to you where you are in the middle of your fear, your distress, your frustrations, your anxiety. When Jesus was in the middle of trials and temptations, he didn't go silent. He didn't turn from God. No, he strengthened himself in the Lord. He trusted God. When Jesus was faced with certain death, 
He didn't lie and deceive. Jesus is our example. We read a passage in Hebrews earlier, if you remember earlier in the service. Jesus is our example. He's our advocate. He can relate to everything that we've been through. He's been there. So friends, I would encourage you to stop and think with me that David brought his men and his families into enemy territory to escape judgment from Saul. He didn't have to bring everybody with him. He could have gone just on his own. And Jesus, instead, protected his family by willingly going alone into enemy territory to receive the judgment that I deserved. David and those in his protection needed to be saved by God from destruction. But Jesus was not saved by God. He took the holy, righteous wrath of God against himself when he bore my sins and your sins on the cross. Because he was not saved by God, we are saved by God. And that's the king who we really need, the one in whom you can place your trust, the one that we ought to look to to strengthen ourselves in. So believers, just for a moment, regardless of what mess you're in today, rejoice that God has saved you from your worst already. I'm a horrible sinner, and I deserve eternal punishment, and yet God has saved me from that eternal punishment. He's done that to his praise and glory, and he's done that for his great namesake. So we should praise him for what he's done for us in saving us and being merciful to save. And if you're not yet a believer, then I ask you to consider for just a moment the harm that you've caused yourself and others by your foolish decisions. We have a God who entered into enemy territory and received the judgment for his family's sin. And if you would just turn from your sin and turn to God, confess your sin, accept him as God, then he has accepted you into his family. and He's died for your sin as well. I would love to talk with you further about that after the service. God is merciful to save. And he will strengthen us in our time of need. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for what Jesus has done. That there's not anyone in this room that is too far gone. There's not anyone in this room that has done something that would be unforgivable. God, you are merciful to save. And God, may we reflect on what you have saved us from, and may we rejoice in that anew as we consider the punishment that we deserve, and yet the mercy, the grace that we have been given. And Father, we pray for those that are in this room that have not received you, and we pray that, that you would speak to them, that they would not leave without having talked to somebody about what they've, what they've heard this morning. God, we thank you that you are merciful to us. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Would you join me in thanking Tad for sharing with us this morning?